Well, good morning, friends. My name is John. I happen to be one of the pastors here at Evergreen. It's good to see you all. Really good to be with you this morning. Happy Mother's Day to you moms in the room. I want to take a moment and pray with you all, um, honoring this day, but also understanding that this is a day that can bring up pain, and this is a day that can bring up just a memory. It's like these particular holidays just amplify things. They magnify the experience for us. And so we hold the tension of both joy and sorrow and goodness and pain. And that's what it means to be a human being, is we have rough experiences, we have joyful experiences, and they all belong. So would you take a moment to pray with me? God, we thank you uh, for the image that you give us as the kind of God who fully embodies what a mom looks like that you're not just a father, but you're also a mother. You're somehow able to encompass both and give us an image of what a loving mother is like throughout the scriptures. You give us these images of beauty and goodness, care, intimacy. So we thank you for that. Thank you for our moms. And thank you for the fact that they did the best they could many times. And we thank you for the ways in which they have sacrificed and have given of themselves for our flourishing and for our movement into this world. But we also understand that there's, there's pain in those spaces, and we understand that there's heartache that gets brought up over those who longed to have children and weren't able to. And we acknowledge that. We see all of it. And we know that you're a God who doesn't shy away from that, but you enter into that pain with us. And so this day, we want to celebrate and remember. We want to celebrate what is and the fact that we get to have our moms, we get to hear their voices, we get to remember all the beauty and goodness that they hold. Just bless all the moms today. Give them an extra measure of your Holy Spirit and fill them with the beauty that they represent into this world. And as we step into our text this morning, may you be the one to teach and lead us and help us to come awake in areas that we have fallen asleep, things that we have either become indifferent to and have so easily slipped into uh, forgetting the beauty and the power of what it means to follow you in this world, Jesus. Now lead us, guide us, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we're in a, in a journey, we're on a learning journey, and we are living into this question, if Jesus rose from the dead, then what? So many times what we do is we look at a situation in the scriptures and we say, well, yeah, we celebrate that on Easter and then we move on. But the, the resurrection of Jesus actually has a lot to say about our future. It has a lot to say with how we treat one another and how we live in this world. And if you were to go into the scriptures, into the biblical narrative and ask the question, where's like, where are the most extensive um, thoughts, ideas, metaphors, stories about the resurrection of Jesus and what it actually means that Jesus rose from the dead, you would most likely go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your scriptures in front of you or on your phone, if you'd like to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's this long, extensive idea full of metaphors, um, eyewitness accounts. Paul um, just throws out kind of this really thick, theology about the implications of the resurrection. He refers to some Old Testament references. So it's quite an extensive writing that Paul spins out in this letter 
that he's writing to a group of Jesus followers in the city of Corinth in the Roman Empire. And so his purpose of writing this is to encourage, to uh, help people wake up to the reality of what it means to say yes to Jesus and what it means to say yes to a resurrected Jesus. So this particular section of scripture has a lot to say. And one of the things that Paul does is he likes to use metaphors. He likes to use metaphors to help us grab onto the reality of a resurrected Jesus. And one of the metaphors that I have found to be very helpful that he uses is he talks about uh, our human bodies, these things that we live in and breathe in as a, as a seed. And I remember listening to a, a sermon years ago by Tim Keller and recently by Tim Mackey and N.T. Wright, and they talk a lot about the different metaphors in the resurrected section of 1 Corinthians 15. And they, they use this analogy of the human body is like an acorn, and I found it to be really helpful. So I'm going to just spin this one out in my own version. But I want you to think of yourself for a moment as an acorn, okay? You're an acorn. Hello, acorn. How are you? And as an acorn, if you think of yourself as this seed, inside this seed, there exists all the DNA, the capability of you becoming a massive oak tree someday. So think of yourself as an acorn, and if I were to say to you, hey, acorn, one day you're going to become a massive oak tree. Now, you might think of that and go, well, that's nuts. There's no way that I'm going to become an oak tree someday. The reality is, is that everything inside of that seed that we see in an oak tree, the branches, the bark, the massivity of it, the, just the, the glory of a, an oak tree actually exists inside that seed. Now, if you step back and ask the question to that acorn, is the acorn and the oak tree the same thing? Yes and no. Like we look, at the, we look at the acorn and we think to ourselves, well, that's not an oak tree, that's an acorn. And yet somehow inside that tiny little seed exists everything in order to make a massive oak tree. So the reality is, is, is the acorn and the tree the same thing? Yes, but no, kind of, but Absolutely. So there's that tension there, but there's a deep connection inside of that. So in your current human state, what Paul is saying in this metaphor is that you're similar to a seed. You're like an acorn, and that's you. But the reality is, is that what's going to come out of you someday is so beautiful and so good and so massive that you really have no category for it right now. So he's trying to chip away at this idea. Now, when we, we talk about the resurrected Jesus, you have the Jesus who walked on the earth with his disciples throughout Galilee, teaching, leading, healing people, interacting, having human experiences. Then he dies, rises again on the third day, shows up to over 500 different eyewitnesses, as is written in 1 Corinthians 15. Some people were like, um, he's recognizable, but he's not recognizable. It says some people believed that this was the actual Jesus, and some people still doubted. So there's all this tension throughout the text. But Jesus shows up in his resurrected body, and he eats fish, right? So I have to assume that he probably pooped too, right? He's eating. There's, the body is working in a certain way, and he's interacting with people. So is this resurrected Jesus that walked on the earth, the same Jesus that we're seeing after the resurrection. Are they the same? Yes, but also different. 
there's like different dimensions to this resurrected Jesus. He's in a physical body, but he's also appearing in one room and then disappearing and going somewhere else. So there's some kind of difference in this resurrected body that Jesus is living in. There's still the, the human part of it. It's physical because you can touch him. He's got scars that he's showing to his followers. But here's the deal, and I want us to think about the implications of this because how we think about the actual resurrected Jesus has a lot to say with how we think about our future. You know, we talk a lot about the afterlife, and we're not quite sure what happens after we die, but we have ideas of what we think will happen after we die. We read the scriptures, and the scriptures seem to be somewhat clear, but then sometimes vague, and so we're not quite sure what happens after we die, although I do believe that the resurrection of Jesus has a lot to say with what happens after we die. And we said last week that Jesus came down to earth God in human flesh and bone and became what we are so that we could become what he is. So when we see Jesus walking out of the tomb on Easter morning, what that is, is that's a picture of our future. You, little acorn, are going to one day walk out of the grave and into a new beautiful future. That's what Paul's getting at, and he's spinning that out. So I want to I read a section of 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to start in verse 35 and then spin this out and see where it takes us. So if you would follow along with me, you'll see it on the screens. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly body is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly body is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars different from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. And you read that and go, Poop, simple, right? Super simple. But look at all the metaphors that he's using, all this imagery and the idea. Like, what is Paul saying? He's ultimately saying that, listen, death, as we see it, does not hold the final word over our lives. That's been broken. He said death itself does not have the final word. But he also says the human body, the one that we currently live in, is like a human seed. It's gonna die. You're going to be buried. But again, what's coming in the future is so glorious that we don't really have any categories in, in order to hold it and to fully understand the implications. We know that we go into the ground like a seed in a grave and we will burst out and become these glorious beings. We don't just die and then float off somewhere in the future. That's not the end of the story. It's not that we float off in some kind of existence and we float off into heaven as our final destination. 
What the scriptures show us is that we're going to get renewed bodies, and that's really, really good news, and we're going to live on a renewed earth and a renewed world in which God is fully dwelling and living among humanity once again. That's how Christianity began. It began with this deep hope that all that we see right now is a precursor of what is to come. The good, the beauty that lives inside of us is going to come bursting out someday. And what happened to Jesus on Easter Sunday morning is going to happen to us and also creation itself. And that's really, really good news. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, Paul goes to explain more about this future hope. And imagine trying to explain um, somebody rising from the dead to people who had no category for that. It wasn't like people back then were more prone to believe that somebody who died would rise again on the third day. Ancient people didn't have that category any more than we do today. It's a hard thing to grab onto and believe. And so Paul, what Paul is doing is he's using pictures and images and ideas to help people live into this reality. And he says in verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So we, along with creation, get to exist in this form. This is our current state. We're, f- we're flesh and bone. We're feelings and emotions. We are perishable. So therefore, we have a shelf life in our current state. Now, think about the future that God has in store for us. Paul refers to it as imperishable. And imperishable, I think of like a, like a bag of Cheetos, right? Imperishable. Long shelf life. So the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about very often in his teachings, and he proclaimed it, he demonstrated it, he said, this is what the kingdom of God looks like here on earth. And the kingdom of God is a picture of of God's justice and God's love fully experienced in every square inch of existence of time and space. So in God's future world, things will be imperishable. So the scriptures use words like eternal, like we'll have eternal life, like we'll just keep going on and on and on. Now, in our current form, in this time, in space and with cells and all the things that make up this world that we see, we are not imperishable beings. Things are constantly dying. And in our current form, God's uh, imperishable future, we can't exist in the imperishable future. We're perishable beings. It would be like saying to an oak tree, oak tree, you are capable of handling an entire ecosystem. Like, that's just not possible. An oak tree can't handle an entire ecosystem. But can an oak tree in God's new world handle an entire ecosystem? I don't know. Possibly there's different dimensions and aspects to God's future world that I can't understand. Now, many Christians And there may be some of you here this morning, you believe that this world, that humanity is corrupt and bad, and that God is going to destroy this earth. It's going to be completely obliterated, right? It's going to burn up. There's going to be a a battle called Armageddon. 
Um, there's going to be this thing called a rapture where some people are taken off the earth and some are left behind. And that's going to be a whole different sermon series. I can't spin that out this morning. There's a lot going on in that type of thinking. But I've been taught, even as a child, that our physical bodies are bad. Even when we're born, we're told you're broken as soon as you're born. You're born into this world as sinners. We're corrupt, and the world as we know it eventually is just going to disappear, and we're going to float off somewhere else, and we're going to be given a brand new kind of physicality, something new in the future. But I don't think that's what Paul is getting at here in 1 Corinthians 15. So let's stay true to what's going on in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, the question, is the Jesus who was raised from the dead in bodily form, ate fish, walked with people after his resurrection, the same Jesus that walked with his disciples before his resurrection, before his life, death, and resurrection, is that the same Jesus? Yes, and also different, different physicality but still human, still in a physical body because he's eating with his disciples. I don't think that Paul has in mind that God is going to scrap everything and just start over in the future. In a couple of weeks from now, we're going to explore the text where the scriptures say God is going to make all things new. You guys are familiar with that term. He's making all things new. What happens many times is I think we reverse that and we read that as he is going to make all new things. And how you look at it, all things new versus all new things, will completely alter how you understand God's future and what he has for us in the future. So a big question for me as I look at this passage is, why can't that which is perishable inherit what is imperishable? And I think that's a really compelling question. Now think of it like this. We're all embedded in a way of life. Our physical bodies are decaying. Our morality is decaying. We are bodies. Your body is amazing. Do you know that? I know some of you don't like your bodies, but your bodies are absolutely amazing. Think about what your body has given you, where it has taken you, the experiences that you got to have because of your body. I had a glass of wine last night with some good friends, and my body experienced absolute bliss. Because you know when you take something in and you're like, what? this is really, really good. You taste, you experience, you're having a shared connection with people. How often have you stopped long enough to say to your body, thank you. You're good. Man, you've done a good job. Way to go. Thank you for taking me here. Thank you for giving me this experience. Thank you, body, for the joy, the laughter, the pain, all of it. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. Body, you're good. You've been good to me and you've given me so many beautiful experiences. Our bodies are amazing, yet at the same time, we know they're breaking down. Your body is you. It's how we recognize you. Your, your swag, how you move, how you walk, uh, the essence of who you are. I can recognize some of you 
simply by how you walk. I'm like, okay, I know who that is. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how a person walks, how a person moves? It's their body. It's who they are. We start to recognize them, which for me, being new to the game here at Evergreen, I'm only seeing half of your faces most of the time. So when you take your mask all the way down, I'm like, oh, well, I didn't expect that. <laughs> and it's good to see all of you. But I get to see parts of you, and I get to see your bodies and how you move and your mojo. You know, we have all these words that we use to describe the human body. But what I think Paul is getting at here is, yes, we're all these bodies and we have these experiences, but we also have all of these crazy impulses. Have you noticed how crazy we are? And we have all of these destructive patterns, like we hurt people and we do it over and over and over again. We don't intend on it many times, but what happens is because we have all of these crazy impulses and adrenaline and all this stuff rushing through our body, we make a lot of mistakes and we hurt people. So we're, we're just kind of like these walking contradictions. We have beauty and goodness and love and hope, but at the same time, we have these crazy impulses that flow through our bodies. And what Paul is saying is your body in its current state, as beautiful and as good as it is, is not capable of inhabiting the future that God has for us. It's just not capable. We have to change. We have to die. It's the only way for us to be resurrected because we know we break and we hurt and we destroy. And that's why we have a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So you're asking the question, well, how does all of this stuff get worked on? How does it get changed? Paul describes it more in detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he goes through and he starts using, again, analogies. He's using pictures, images, and he's pulling from the Old Testament some of these big ideas. And listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, isn't that just a beautiful section of scripture? You're like, what is with all the fire? Why is Paul using these analogies? Why is Paul referring to our lives like a house? And if you think about the implications of a house, every house has a foundation. If houses don't have foundations, they sink, they crumble, they, they fall over. So they have to have a really good, solid foundation. I think Jesus actually had something to say about that, how we build our lives. We build our lives on something solid and fixed. So let's spin this out. We, as Jesus followers, are given all of these materials in which we can build our foundations upon, our lives upon the foundation. And as a Jesus follower, you're designed and you are created to build your life on the way of Jesus. So there's all kinds of ways that we can be faithful in what we're choosing to build our lives on to the way of Jesus, all of these implications of how I do relationships, how I interact with my money and my resources and my time and my energy. So my character actually matters. The decisions that I make and I can work on my integrity and I can work on all of these things that actually I believe are gonna last into the new world. And then Paul talks about this kind of faithfulness as a substance like gold 
and silver, that which just can't be melted by the fire, it remains. And whatever remains lives on into God's future world. But then he also talks about ways in which we can build our lives on things like wood, hay, and straw. Things that are, are just going to be swallowed up. Things that we are, again, we do destructive things. And I, I think what Paul is referring to is how we treat people, how we interact with people, how we see the world, how we talk about people when they're not in the room, right? All of those things matter. And Paul refers to this as a day. He says the day. There's, there's coming a day when all of humanity will stand before God and will be weighed and evaluated. And guess what? That is like really good news. Really good news. Because according to Paul, there's coming a day when all of those destructive things, all of those patterns are going to be burned up. They're going to be eliminated. And all the things that we're building our lives on, that the beauty, the goodness, the art that we're creating, the, the good things that are being spinned out into the world are going to remain the way that we love that's costing us something, the way that we choose to forgive and not hold on to bitterness, those things are going to remain. But the other things that we just can't beat, the things inside of all of us who are just like, I'd love, I'd love for this to go, but I don't know how to let it go. All of that is going to be removed. All those things that hell on earth is going to be removed. All that hell and that chaos has no place in God's new world in the future. It's like God is committed to getting the hell out of here. Are you hearing me? Not you getting the hell out of here. God is committed to getting the hell out of here in all of us, all of those destructive things. Now, where is Paul pulling this from? Well, if you want to talk about fire and judgment and all that scary stuff, where do you go in the Bible? The prophets, right? Go to those crazy prophets. And in Zephaniah chapter 3, listen to this. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8, the word of the Lord comes. And remember, this is a poem. So how do you read poetry? It's always important to know what you're reading. And when you're reading the scriptures, what kind of literature or what kind of writing is being used? This is poetry. So we read it as poetry. But listen to what's being said in verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day I will stand up to testify, I have decided to assemble the nations to gather the kingdoms and to pour out my wrath on them. All my fierce anger, the world, the whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Now, this is a courtroom scene that we're given here. This is how humans gather together and, and God is the judge. And this is how humans have ruined my world and how they have ruined each other and I'm going to pour out my fire on humanity. Now, would any human being be left after that? No. Gone. All of us. No one will be able to stand. And if that was the end of the story, this would be a really lame sermon. It would be like, that's the worst Mother's Day I've ever experienced. But Zephaniah goes on and listen, listen to what is said in verse 9. Then I will purify the lips of the people, and all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. On that day, you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs that you have done to me, because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. 
Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. How's that for a series of H's? But I will leave within you the meek and the humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. All of this purification language, blood and flesh and bone, just being purified. This is not God saying there will be no physical world in the future. This is God's way of saying all the ways in which we seek to corrupt ourselves and one another and creation is going to be obliterated. That, my friends, is really, really good news. All of those destructive things have no place in God's good world. So in the meantime, I as a follower of Jesus have a choice and I don't want to hold on to bitterness. I don't want to hold on to it because it's eating me alive. And it's not who I am. I'm an acorn, and I'm going to become an oak tree someday. And I'm going to be massive and awesome. But I can't hold on to these things, these destructive patterns. And so I'm doing everything I can to lay them down and to say, Jesus, change me, help me grow, burn these things away from me. I don't want to hold on to my bitterness and my unforgiveness. I don't want to see people as the other. I don't want to judge. I don't, I don't want to just see people as their political affiliation. I want to see people the way you see people. I want to love people. I want to care for people. I want to enter a relationship with people and hear their stories. I want all of that other stuff to be burned out of me. I mean, think about it, friends. If, if God isn't committed to getting the hell out of here, then what's coming in the future is not really that good of news, is it? All those things that are defeating us and decaying in us and causing divisions in us, if that stuff doesn't get eradicated, ugh, yuck. Like, let's, let's get all of that out, all of that junk, because what God has in store for us is an imperishable future. It's imperishable. And all of us, all of us have things that need to be burned away. I need to be consumed by the power of God's justice and love. I need to. And I submit myself to that. I want these things gone inside of me. And this is why the cross is such a powerful and beautiful image. Because the cross is the image of God's love and justice coming down and meeting together and embracing. And all of the greed and the injustice and the pain and the destruction and the violence that continues to be perpetuated on the earth met Jesus that day. And Jesus absorbed all all of it, all of that destruction. He took all of it upon himself. And what was his offer to us? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He offers us grace. And he says, I want you to have this. I became what you are so that you could become what I am. You're an oak tree, watch out. Pay attention, little tiny acorns, because what's inside of you is so beautiful and so good that God wants to make sure that all of that stuff comes erupting out of your soul. And you have a choice. You can stand that day and say, I want to do it on my own. I want to be accountable to myself. I don't want to place my faith and trust in Jesus. And that's fine. You're free to do that. Or... You can say yes to this resurrected Jesus and say, I'm going to yield my life and my heart to Jesus and ask you to change me and transform me. Help me become a beautiful oak tree someday. I fully submit my life, my heart, and my intentions to you. 
I want to live the life that you lived, die the death that you died, so that one day I can be resurrected into new life. And all you have to do this morning is say, I say yes. I say yes to the way of Jesus. I say yes to all that he has for me. We can accept that this morning. All of that reckless love and forgiveness, all of the ways in which Jesus calls us to live in this beautiful reality. And then listen to what Paul says in verse 58. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Jesus made it pretty clear. He said, love God and love your neighbor. That's it. Do those. Love God and love your neighbor because those are the things that will remain into the future. All of your dreams, little tiny acorn, are not going to come true. And that's really good news. But God's dream for you in the future of becoming a massive oak tree, that's what's more real. That's the beauty of following a resurrected king. And that kind of resurrection is going to change your life right now. It has been really great to be with you all this morning. So glad that you're with us worshiping here. Beautiful sun outside, kind of behind the clouds, but still there. Want to let you know that for all of you ladies, there is a small gift for you as you leave this place. Chocolates from C's Candies. So, ooh, yeah, I hear that. So today I pray for refreshment, for joy, for grace, for wisdom, and especially for great peace to all you moms, would-be moms, and all you women who nurture those in your life as a mother does. Receive the benediction. May God who gave birth to all creation bless us. May God who became incarnate by an earthly mother bless us. May God who broods over us as a mother does bless us. May Almighty God bless us now and forever. Amen. Happy Mother's Day.